Hello, Duck fans! It's Wednesday already. It's been a week since the NBA shut down, and coronavirus has ground sports to a halt, except for the NFL, of course, which appears to be business as usual. But then again, free agency can happen remotely, so no, no harm, no foul. Uh, I was busy today. We got some school closures and stuff like that. Had to work some stuff out with a family and a kid and a whole nine yards. So uh, what I'm going to be doing is uh, you regular listeners know that the first week of episodes was deleted some time ago from uh, the platform. And I'm going to go ahead and re-release episodes on it uh, from time to time. And today we're going to release episode three which involves uh, letting Dante Williams go and uh, the hiring, uh, the potential hiring of a new coach, which since has been Rod Chance. So it's kind of interesting to listen to. Uh, hope you enjoy it, and we'll have some fresh content for you tomorrow. We do have uh, a lot of exciting interviews coming down the pike. We're going to talk to Lockdown Raiders about the hiring of Marcus Mariota, as well as some other surprises. So looking forward to continuing to bring some excitement and some fun during uh, these dark times. So thank you for your patience. And again, this is an episode, I think it's episode three. So, oh gosh, going on uh, 18, so about two, three weeks ago. So thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy the show. The American in front, almost a cult of the United States. He's a sort of athletic beetle. Hello, Duck fans. Good morning. It's 30 degrees in the Emerald City, and this is Locked on Ducks, your daily source for info, analysis, and updates, and part of the Locked on Network. I'm your host, Jordan Long, and you can find me on Twitter at TheDustOffGuy, and you can follow the show at Locked on Ducks. Don't forget to send in questions and comments with the hashtags AskLodPod, that's hashtag AskLodPod. Please subscribe on Apple and follow on Spotify and Google Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on. And now to the action. We're going to start today addressing more personnel changes in Oregon football with the departure of cornerbacks coach Dante Williams. Then we're going to be doing a little draft analysis because, well, the combine is right around the corner and the NFL teams are clambering for a little Justin Herbert, so we're going to give it to him. Plus, we're going to talk about a couple of other prospects. But first, last week, there was another shakeup on the coaching staff. Cornerbacks coach Dante Williams was hired by USC to be their passing game coordinator. Williams shared his message on Twitter. It was a, definitely a heartfelt goodbye. You could really tell the guy was attached to Oregon, was having a good time here, and was invested in the process. You know, but he had to go where he could increase his stature, increase his income, and he is from the Los Angeles area. For him, he's really heading home, and he's getting an increase in title that the Ducks just couldn't give him. The real loss, though, for Oregon, in addition to the skills as a corners coach, is really in his recruiting. According to 24-7 Sports, he was the 7th ranked recruiter in the whole nation, and actually 24-7's Pac-12 Conference Recruiter of the Year. Mario Cristobal's recruiting method is collaborative, doesn't allow single recruiters to be really attached to single players, 
but we're going to talk more about that in a second. I think Oregon already has a really stable recruiting program, whereas USC does not. Or at least they don't seem to. Not in the same way that Oregon does. The way the Ducks have cemented themselves as a national brand means that prospects will be more likely to head to Oregon rather than USC. Both Cristobal and the new offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead have shifted some of the recruiting focus into the Gulf region in the south, which is really going to continue to provide top recruits like Jason Jones. There has been some concern that certain transfers or signees are going to leave with Dante Williams. In fact, Dante Manning was a target of Williams, but Cristobal has demonstrated that he's he's really capable of retaining these recruits in part because of the group recruiting style that, that Coach Cristobal has implemented. In fact, here's some audio from the interview with Dante from Andrew Nemich's, uh recruiting podcast on 1080 The Fan. You know what? Every uh, kid is different. So, I mean, granted, like the, the whole staff recruiting one particular kid will work. It's a couple other guys that maybe you only want three or four coaches recruiting them, and somebody does take the lead using every aspect. You know, it's a good thing here that our head coach is a beast. So, I mean, to say that a position coach even just, you know, is the head person of a kid, everybody wants to talk to the head coach. I don't care who you are. Right. You know, shoot. I still get happy when I get a text or a call from Coach Cristobal. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, to, to say that, you know, if a position coach is in the league, I, I would say that it's always Coach Cristobal and we all do it together. The Ducks have settled on a new quarterbacks coach to replace Dante Williams, but there were some names being thrown about. Demetrius Martin at Arizona, he's among the top West Coast recruiters. Uh, at UCLA, uh, worked at UW. He's he, he was even assistant head coach at UCLA. Uh, he's got a great track record of recruitment and development. And to be honest, I wondered if this consideration was due to wanting to replace like a, a gap that was left by, by Williams. Greg Brown, the cornerbacks coach at Purdue, was under consideration. Uh, he's the only coach to have overseen three Jim Thorpe Award winners. He worked with Cristobal at Alabama in 2013, and their families are actually very, very close. And I thought maybe that connection would lead to something for uh, Coach Brown. Uh, Greg Brown has this long coaching resume, Auburn, Missouri, Louisville, Alabama, Colorado, Arizona, Wyoming. He also coached with the Saints, Falcons, 49ers, the Tennessee Oilers, for all of you who remember that, Chargers, the Buccaneers, even way back into the 80s. Uh, I also thought maybe Jeff Popovich, the cornerback's coach at Georgia Tech, would be a choice. He worked with Cristobal at Miami and at Florida International University. Popovich is also a pretty successful special teams coordinator, and that's one area where the Ducks could really improve this year, so I thought maybe that would uh, be taken into account. But over the weekend, Coach retweeted a tweet by Rod Chance that he was hired as the new quarterback's coach. There isn't an official statement yet, but it's pretty much assumed that it's a done deal. They're probably just waiting to iron out the details of the contract before they make an official statement from the university. So Rod Chance was the quarterback's coach at Minnesota. There's a lot to like about this guy. He attended the AFCA's 35 Under 35 Coaches Leadership Institute. When he had the opportunity to go be a hotshot defensive coach after his time as the defensive coordinator at Utah State, he instead chose to take an unpaid position as a defensive analyst here at Oregon. I mean, that, I feel like that's the kind of dedication to his craft that's 
that's really admirable and kind of bodes well for his future. He's a, a student of the game and always looking to improve himself, uh, taking, uh, going to leadership conferences and you know, taking these unpaid positions in order to learn from some of the, the best. Under Coach Chance, Minnesota went from being ranked 51st in passing yards, uh, allowed in 2018 to number 9 last season. Just to throw a couple of numbers at you here. He also took the program from 77 to 26 rank in passes defended, ranked 69 last year, or the year before last, to number 10 in passing touchdowns last year, and number 63 to number 17 in interceptions. He also coached safety Antoine Winfield, who was last season's Big Ten defensive back of the year. He recruited four of Minnesota's 2020 signees. So he does have some pretty strong recruitment chops, which is definitely something they're looking to replace with Dante Williams. Those signees were all from Georgia or Florida. And I think this speaks to Cristobal's bringing the Gulf Coast and South into the recruiting mix, which we uh, already talked about. It could also be an indicator that Oregon isn't too worried about competing with USC because they didn't go after a replacement for Coach Dante Williams, who was a West Coast guy, right? Chance is being handed a talented group of cornerbacks. And, you know, turnovers, you know, as you come to find, one of my soapboxes here is about a turnover differential and an effective pass defense. It's an essential part of winning at elite levels, whether it's college or the NFL. Turnover differential is is absolutely huge. And the, the I think the Ducks are really poised to come out ahead on this and really come into their own in this regard. The Ducks moved from 82nd to 53rd in pass defense, and they moved to 14th from 49th in pass efficiency from a year ago. So, I mean, that's, that's some great improvements by... Dante Williams that uh, Coach Chance has inherited. But one area that the Ducks have really struggled is in giving up big plays. And this is that turnover uh, in pass defense we were talking about just a second ago. Oregon ranked 75th in giving up 20-plus yards uh, in passing plays, right? So 75th in giving up big plays. While at Minnesota, Chance's quarterback group was ranked number 8. So this is really an opportunity, I think, for Oregon to bring on someone who's going to focus on not giving up big plays and really handing Oregon yet another advantage on what is turning going to turn out to be an elite defense. In the end, I think it's really a testament to the strength of Oregon Ducks football, this whole change that we're undergoing right now. The, the loss of Coach Williams is kind of the price you pay for being a, a nationally recognized team. This happens in top five programs all the time, right? If the Ducks want to swim in that end of the pool, you know, with the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Clemsons and so forth, they're going to have to be able to absorb losses like this one. They're enough of a national brand that finding a new cornerback coach wasn't a problem. And they hopped right on it, which I actually think is a really great idea. You know, they got these recruits and signees out there that they don't want to have be confused. They don't want to give them time to think about whether or not they should follow Dante Williams. They bring on Rod Chance to go ahead and uh, nip any anything in the bud before it has a chance to be a problem. This decisive action by the University of Oregon is really uh, laudable. Honestly, Cristobal's recruiting program is strong enough that we're not going to lose any of our signees to USC. You know, nor do I, nor do I think that they're going to be able to even compete. You know, like we talked about yesterday, when people think of the Pac-12 nowadays, they think of Oregon, and they don't really think of the USC Trojans anymore. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. All right, welcome back. This is Locked On Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your daily source for info, updates, and analysis of Oregon Ducks athletics. Next up, we're going to talk about Justin Herbert for a bit. You know, many of the fans out there know Justin Herbert, but for those of you who are tuning in from around the NFL, I'm going to spend a minute getting to know number 10. Born and raised in Oregon, he dreamed of playing for the Ducks all his life. Six foot six, 227 pound quarterback stayed at Oregon for another season last year when he was expected to be the first pick in the 2019 draft. That's the kind of dedication uh, to his craft that you gotta love. Not only is he a good company man, but it shows that he has the smarts to develop his game and not go chasing records, stats, and contracts. Coming out of high school, Herbert was a three-star consensus prospect by ESPN, Rivals, and 24-7 Sports. He was the first true freshman to start at Oregon since 1983's Chris Miller, who actually also went to Sheldon High School. After Oregon's own Heisman winning Marcus Mariota and a year of Vernon Adams, Herbert had some pretty big shoes to fill. He started under three different coaches. I mean, at that point, the Ducks were pretty rudderless, transitioning from the Chip Kelly era with Mark Helfrich, Willie Taggart, finally settling in under coach Mario Cristobal. In his freshman year, Justin set or tied Oregon single game records for total offense with 512 passing yards with 489 and passing touchdowns with six. In despite this show of quarterback acumen, the Ducks finished four and eight and failed to make a bowl game for the first time in a decade. In those eight starts, he threw for 1,936 yards, 19 touchdowns, and four interceptions. Uh, that's a heck of a stat line for your first eight games as a true freshman, filling in the shoes of Marcus Mariota and following the Chip Kelly era. During his sophomore year under Taggart, he began the season 4-1, and one, but then he broke his collarbone in September of 2017. The Ducks lost the next four of their five games without Herbert. They ended up going to the Las Vegas Bowl that year, but lost after, I mean, Taggart quit a week before the bowl game. In Herbert's junior year, he was a Heisman candidate, and even though Cristobal was implementing what was Justin's third offensive scheme in his in his many years, he had a 9-4 record in 2018. And again, I just uh, like throwing some stats up there to show what a prolific and effective passer he was. 3,151 Passing yards, 29 passing touchdowns, and two rushing touchdowns in his junior year. That 31 total touchdowns in 2018 was second in the Pac-12 behind Gardner Minshew. As we mentioned, he returned for his senior year and showed what he could do with some consistency at the coaching position and really a whole offseason to prepare for a scheme that he had been getting to know. He's healthy. He's got the same coach he had last year. And he went 12-2 in 2019, won the Ducks of the Rose Bowl, where he rushed for three touchdowns. He actually won the Bowl Offensive MVP as well. And that year, he won the William Campbell Trophy, which is essentially like the Heisman Trophy for collegiate athletic academics. You know, in his time at Oregon, he absolutely delivered. Over the course of his career, he had 43 starts, going 29 of 14, and completing 813 passes of 1,273 attempts. That's a completion rate of 63.9%. His over 10,500 passing yards 
was second place behind Marcus Mariota in UFO program history. And his 95 passing touchdowns, also second behind Marcus Mariota. I'd say he sure did his best to fill those shoes. You know, uh, I think a real important point to make here is that Justin's size, mobility, and athleticism were really not a feature under Taggart and Helfrich. They didn't even become prominent until later in his senior year. With the shifting academic program and the turmoil at the coaching position and the changing schemes, he really didn't get a chance to settle in until his senior year. His performance at the Rose Bowl and his performance at the Senior Bowl have really put his athleticism on display in a way that no one had seen up to that point. In fact, Bengals offensive coordinator Bill Callahan said that Herbert's got prototypical size and athletic ability. You know, it's even possible that Cincinnati at this point is getting high on Herbert. It's also been noted that Herbert's extremely intelligent. During the Senior Bowl practice week and in the Senior Bowl, Herbert went under center after spending his whole college career in the pistol or gun. And in fact, the analysts were really impressed with his ability to kind of do that and execute whatever was asked for him. They added as very conscientious that he gathers information well, processes it, making play calls accurately and on the fly. And this was just really impressive given the kinds of things that happen at the Senior Bowl during practice week. Being practice MVP of the week at the Senior Bowl is actually kind of a big deal. You see the draft analysts and the team scouts and all that stuff, they come out before the game. They don't even really stick around to watch the Senior Bowl. They can see the tape on that. What they want to do is watch the quarterbacks and, and all the skill positions and all the players and how they react in practice under different plays, different schemes, how quickly they can adapt. And like I said, Justin Herbert really wowed everyone with his smarts and his athleticism and really did a heck of a job. The picture isn't all rosy though. You know, Marcus Mosher from at Locked On Cowboys, shout out to him. Uh, and I love these kind of anal analytics, but he said that he noted that yards per attempt on third down is actually one of the best indicators of future quarterback performance. And Herbert currently ranks 12th out of current prospective NFL draft quarterbacks. Now, I mean, on this list, he's down there with Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP. So, you know, you tell me, right? Um, sometimes wins are the most important stat. Some of the news that's breaking over the weekend uh, has been that the Dolphins are really warming up to Justin Herbert. You know, this could just be posturing in order to make their picks more valuable or, you know, be able to make better potential trades, uh, especially since the Dolphins are just kind of silly with draft picks this year and next year. Tua Tagovailoa, uh, he's slated to attend the Combine, but he hasn't technically been medically cleared to play after his hip injury last November. A uh, doctor told Peter King, in fact, that the type of injury sustained by Tagovailoa actually could be considered like kind of a thing for an injury-prone label. So we're going to definitely be watching that. He is going to the Combine, but he won't be participating due to the injury. Even the Panthers are in the market for a quarterback after, you know, Cam Newton's pretty likely at this point that he's going to be moving on. They're currently picking at number seven and with the Giants, Lions, and Redskins uh, pretty much looking outside of the quarterback position. In, in fact, Colin Cowherd thinks that Carolina is going to be willing to trade to move up ahead of the Chargers, but, you know... Colin Cowherd says whatever gets the clicks at the time. Anyway, uh, 
There's a broad consensus among the draft analysts that Herbert's going to go at number six by the Chargers. In fact, according to the Draft Network, just about two-thirds of all analysts are, are calling uh, Herbert going to the Chargers. But there is some outliers here. Um, Draft Network's own Trevor Sikama thinks he's going to go at number five to Miami. We talked a little bit about that. And some some other surprises. Uh, NFL.com's Daniel Jeremiah has Herbert going to the Buccaneers at number 14. And pro football focus Mike Renner thinks Justin's going to go to the Patriots at number 23. He could fall to 23, I suppose, because he's considered a little inconsistent and not quite ready for prime time. And the biggest wins of his career kind of being some of the worst graded quarterback performances. But like we mentioned earlier, getting that W is kind of the most important quarterback stat. So, you know, we'll just kind of have to wait and see what happens there. I do think the Patriots would be a good situation for tutelage, working, you know, in a red red shirt rookie year, if that is, you know, TB12 doesn't move on. In fact, the Raiders just offered Tommy Boy, I think it was two years over $60 million. So we'll have to see what happens there. In Tampa Bay, it's a possibility if he falls that far. He would be a good fit for Bruce Arian's quarterback profile, I think. You know, being big, strong, athletic, and a big arm. But I'm not sure Tampa Bay is ready to move on from famous Jameis Winston yet. Uh, Jameis just got LASIK surgery, and apparently he can now tell which receivers are on his team and who's on the other team, which is going to be really helpful to get out of that 30-30 club that he put himself in last year. I think Miami's a really interesting prospect, and we talked a little about why he would go to Miami. Fitzmagic had one of his best years last year, and... I think he'd be a great veteran for Justin to learn from. But with the Chargers moving on from Phillip Rivers, it does look like Herbert may very likely be staying on the West Coast and heading to L.A. Just as a quick recap on the upside, Justin Herbert is only 22 when he's going to start uh, in the NFL. He's pretty consistently accurate. He's got a strong arm. And he really can do a lot on the run with athleticism. He's got a strong pocket presence with good awareness. And he's good even while under pressure. And he's shown really great decision making. I think this is going to you know, translate into good third and long conversion rates. But that statistic we talked about earlier, he hasn't been so good at, at that so far. It's going to be interesting to see how scheme affected that in college and how that will translate into NFL performance in the coming years. On the downside, his durability could be a bit questioned maybe, having broken that collarbone. He does have a tendency to stare down receivers, and this leads not getting through his, all his progressions. He has only worked in the shotgun, but as he showed at the Senior Bowl, you know, he can be effective under center on the fly, so why not after a spring of training? He does have a tendency to throw high, but, you know, lots of his passes have been saved by lengthy big receivers. I'm going to quote uh, Ben Solak from the Draft Network here. He's got a great uh, kind of sum up of justin herbert's mechanics he describes herbert as having rock back issues in his lower body mechanics that really affect his accuracy especially when looking to throw a frozen rope base widens that's justin herbert's base widens and his weight leans back onto the back foot he'll also regularly sail balls downfield partially due to the whip motion of the arm but also due to the inefficient weight transfer of his rock back. Solak also calls him a first read then scramble quarterback, which does describe his play style pretty well. But if we're talking about 
sailing balls due to weight transfer and whip motions. Those are definitely things that I think can be coached out of him, especially if he's in the right situation, working with a experienced quarterback. We are going to go ahead and take a quick break and I'll talk to you in a minute. Welcome back to Lock on Ducks. This is Jordan Long, your host, and we're going to be talking a little draft time here on Locked On Network. It is Mock Draft Mondays, and during this time of the year, there's a lot of fun activity out there, especially on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whole nine yards. Everybody's talking about who's going to go where, what and when and how, and I'm going to get to one of those teams in just a minute, but first I do want to do a little Twitter Tuesday. We're going to be talking about some mock draft projections that have been coming out on Twitter. At AJ Verhage projects Calvin Throckmorton to the Packers at number 201. At Jeremo 43, Calvin Throckmorton to the Packers at 219. At Brunelli Sports, Calvin Throckmorton to the Packers at 172. Starting to see a trend here, right? And just a couple of more. At Jake Gonzo. Projects Troy Dye is going to go to the Browns at number 90. That's an interesting one. At Spears Snyder, thinks Troy Dye is going to go to the Packers at number 62. And at Resident Panther, uh, thinks Shane Lemieux is going to go to the Panthers at number 103. Today we're just going to talk a little bit about the Packers and their needs because that's one of the more prominent places that I've seen the Ducks being mocked to in the later rounds. Obviously we talked about Justin Herbert. We'll probably talk a lot more about where he's going. But for now, we're going to be doing a little Throckmorton and Die. I got a little feedback from Locked On Packers host Peter Bukowski. He can be found on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. That's B-U-K-O-W-S-K-I. So Peter says that no one scouts the Pac-12 or West Coast better than the Packers. And I think this can be seen as they look to Chenault from Colorado and uh, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. They need to look beyond giving Rodgers some weapons to work with, and it seems to be that they're looking at Troy Dye at 94, or even as early as 64. And Peter thinks that Troy Dye in particular makes good sense, that he's not flashy, but he loves what he brings as a multifaceted player. Linebacker Troy Dye had 84 tackles, 2.5 sacks, 2 interceptions, 2 forced fumbles, and 4 pass breakups last year. He skipped the Senior Bowl, which can happen due to injury or because uh, the player's agent recommends they do it. Uh, so far, it's not really apparent why he skipped the Senior Bowl. He has been invited to the Combine. And as far as we can tell, he's planning on attending. So the general consensus is that Troy Dye's best fit is in a 4-3 scheme as kind of a weak side linebacker, uh, unless he can bulk up and gets quite a bit bigger and stronger. I actually think that's part of the reason he might be skipping the Senior Bowl and he's going to show up to the Combine quite a bit stronger, quite a bit bigger. His speed and athleticism are above average, but they're going to limit him in certain schemes. On the upside, his skill set does make him very attractive for defenses that like to move their linebackers around, let them operate in space a bit. But the lack of strength and his high center of gravity seem to make breaking blocks pretty difficult for him at times. His strengths, in my opinion, far outweigh his weaknesses, and those weaknesses could be coached out of him. I mean, a high center of gravity is not only a matter of teaching technique on how to compensate for it, but also bulking up in the lower half. I think he's going to be the second or third linebacker selected in the draft behind Isaiah Simmons, probably in the late third or fourth rounds. 
The draft network itself does have Troy Dye as the fifth highest linebacker prospect. I do think Isaiah Simmons is going to be out of the picture by the time Green Bay gets their first pick. And a lot of people are clamoring for Patrick Queen, but I think it makes more sense to spend the early draft capital on Chenault or Ayuk. Troy Dye is smart. He's a quick linebacker who's able to run downhill and hit with power. But his athleticism exists in how quickly he reacts to situations. His ability to stop a play is due to his kind of a combination of football IQ and a speed burst. Like I talked about a little bit, the drawbacks that have kept Dye from being a top at the top of everyone's board are kind of his lack of strength and size. Leading up to the combine, the draft prospects are well coached on how to maximize their potential. And if the biggest criticism of Dye is his lack of stationary power and getting overwhelmed by interior linemen, then I think those are things he'd be training to avoid in the in the com, in the combine. Uh, ben Solak again from the Draft Network says that he has stupid good athleticism. That <laughs> sounds like Ben there, uh, but he's slow to read and react. And this seems like the kind of draft prospect that could be coached into an elite player. Bukowski says that the Packers scouts are some of the best in the business. But unfortunately, we're out of time and we're not going to be able to talk about Calvin Throckmorton today. Uh, we'll probably be talking about him in the coming days as we get closer to the Combine and address these mock drafts and see where our good old Oregon Ducks are going to be going into the NFL. All right, folks, that's going to do it for today. This has been Locked on Ducks, your daily source of news, information, and updates on Oregon Ducks athletics. We do have a couple of really important basketball games coming up later this week, and we're going to get into a pregame preview on Wednesday for Thursday game and Thursday for Friday's game. In the meantime, please do take the time to click, rate, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff. You can always use the hashtags AskLodPod, that's hashtag AskLodPod, in order to send us some comments and questions to the show. The show Twitter page is at Locked on Ducks, and you can find me, Jordan Long, on Twitter at the Dust Off Guy. Have a great day, folks, and talk to you tomorrow. And go Ducks! <laughs>